Welcome to Islam for Christians. This is episode 121, Biblical Figures in Islam, part 22, New Testament, Jesus, part 1, Introduction and Overview. Congratulations, everyone. It's been almost two years, but we have made it to Jesus, the culminating figure of the Bible. Well, for Christians, at least, and in a way from Muslims, too. So I want to start this introduction with a thought exercise. Now, just imagine that um, you are a Christian. You're very knowledgeable about Islam and, well, relatively speaking, maybe not as much as a Muslim, but for a Christian, you know a lot. Now, your, your task is to explain Islam to a Christian. But the catch is, you have less than two seconds to do it. Now, what would you say? You have two seconds. So, you can't get into any real details. Nothing about five pillars or Muhammad's revelations. Maybe you can get a shahada in there real fast. There's no God but God and Muhammad is the messenger of God. You can do that in two seconds. But really, would they have any idea what you mean? Probably not. Now, if I was given this task, here would be my top three ways to explain Islam to a Christian in two seconds. Number one, Judaism plus Jesus plus Muhammad. This is making the assumption that they know who Muhammad is. You know, if not, maybe say Prophet Muhammad. But it's giving the idea of one faith building on top of the other. And I use the term Jesus instead of Christianity because it's a bit more accurate that way. The Islamic Jesus is the person of Jesus stripped away from the traditional understanding of him, as told through time through Jesus' disciples and the church and the gospels and the epistles in the Bible. Here's the second one I came up with. Jesus plus Muhammad's teachings. And again, this gets at the sort of monotheistic lineage here. But the weakness of this one is the generally understood role of Jesus. You know, Jesus, as traditionally known, would agree with the vast majority of Muhammad's teachings, particularly in the physical world. But the traditional Christian Jesus would wildly disagree with a few of uh, Muhammad's theological claims. And then a third one. And this is the shortest explanation I could think of. Judaism 2.0. Now, it would take a modern ear of course, to understand this, 2.0 only means something in the age of software and people who live in the age of software. But simplistic as it may be, there is a great degree of accuracy there. Islam resembles Judaism, particularly in worldly practice. Uh, it, it's closer to Judaism in practice much more than it is to Christianity. However, there's another major weakness in this too. There's also a key thing being left out, and that is Islam includes Jesus. And that's the main weakness of this one. 
So I, I hope you're starting to see a theme here. What's the one thing that stands out about these explanations? In all three of them, what is the key ingredient? What's the sticking point in all those examples? That would be the person of Jesus. The main problem here, and thus the reason I used the example of the two-second explanation, is that there is no two-second explanation for the Islamic Jesus. Now, there is one for Judaism. I mean, how would a Jew explain Jesus in two seconds? Maybe well-meaning but incorrect rabbi. And there is a two-second explanation of Jesus in Christianity. You might say, divine sin-busting son of God. But for Islam, you know, maybe there is one, um, prophet, messiah, and son of a virgin. I suppose there is that. But it Still, it kind of lacks the substance of why he matters. It's it's not terribly descriptive in the end about why. You know what what is his role in Islam? Now, in the Jewish version, Jesus clearly doesn't matter. You know, uh, so it doesn't matter if if you don't know what his role is right offhand because there is no role. Now, in the Christian version, he is a part of God and God, but also had the role of eradicating sin as a dominant force in the universe. But the two-second Islamic version doesn't really assign a role to Jesus other than prophet. So, why is he special? And if he's a prophet, what did he say, right? Yes, he was special because he was born of a virgin. I get that. But what role is it that he is playing in the Islamic religion? Why is he necessary? What was his message that was so critical that he needed to be miraculously conceived in his mother's womb? You just are not going to do that in two seconds. I'm pretty sure it's impossible. If somebody else can do it, that would be amazing. But as far as my limitations go, I can't do that in two seconds. And one of the main reasons for that is even if you had plenty of time, like we have here, the answer, you know, long or short in Islam about Jesus, it's just not super clear, particularly if you're just looking at the time before Muhammad, thinking historically, history that already happened. Now, what I mean by that is, in Jesus's time, according to Islam, why was this prophet and miracle worker so dang important <laughs> that he would be venerated by Muslims later, but also unique in that he was born of a virgin? This was not a person like other prophets, not at all. Why was he so important to Islam that Muslims believe he was the promised Messiah? Again, it's not entirely clear. Was it to bring the word of God beyond the Jews? Now, Jesus kind of did that, but not so much. His disciples did that. Was it the message itself? If so, which message? Now, Islam rejects some fundamental gospel teachings 
as well as the later messages of the apostles. So what could Jesus's role, and by extension, the work of the apostles, possibly mean to Islam? Now, the standard version of the Muslim Jesus is the person who had the Injil, which is kind of like the gospel, but more of an abstract, perfect version of a book that is now lost to history. The Injil does not exist on this earth. No one has seen it, and Muslims really can't agree what exactly it is. So if Jesus did not die for our sins, or correct some error, or give some bedrock teaching that future prophets like Muhammad could use, what exactly is his role? Now, to clarify, I'm not saying that the Islamic Jesus couldn't have been used to correct an error or give the bedrock teachings um, that would be later used by Muhammad. What I'm saying is there is a it's not explicitly stated anywhere that this happened. So much of it is left to speculation. And in the Christian mind, this raises a fascinating question. If Jesus were removed from Islam, would it really be any different? Structurally, theologically, morally? Now, Jesus' moral teachings are pretty scant in the Quran, if almost non-existent. Again, that doesn't mean that they aren't there, but is not pointing to anything specific. And there's also the problem that there is no Islamically approved source for the moral teachings of Jesus. The Quran tells you nothing about Jesus's moral teachings, his mission, his purpose. It does say this, however. This is uh, Surah 10, verse 94. If you, O prophet, are in doubt about these stories that we have revealed to you, then ask those who read the scripture before you. The truth has certainly come to you from your Lord, so do not be one of those who doubt. So, from a certain perspective, you could say that the Quran's authoritative take on the gospel is, just ask the Christians. The problem is, Muslims can't ask the Christians, because what the Christians will tell you contradicts the Quran regarding Jesus. The Gospels do the same thing. So, say you're a faithful Muslim, and you're trying to figure this out, and you can see some very, very muddy waters here, at least regarding the person of Jesus. And you can see how this can all be very, very confusing, if you happen to care about that kind of thing. You'd think, okay, why is the Islamic Jesus, Isa, why is Isa so great? Because he was born of a virgin. Because he was a messenger of God. Okay, great. So why was he born of a virgin? What was his message? Well, I don't really know. But it's probably the same thing that is in the Quran. Well, in that case, why bother with him at all? Now, the best clue to this, uh, that the Quran offers at least, 
is in Surah 5, verses 46 to 48. Then in the footsteps of the prophets, we sent Jesus, son of Mary, confirming the Torah revealed before him. And we gave him the gospel containing guidance and light and confirming what was revealed in the Torah, a guide and a lesson to the God-fearing. So let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah has revealed in it, and those who do not judge by what Allah has revealed are truly the rebellious. We have revealed to you, O Prophet, this book with the truth, as a confirmation of previous scriptures and a supreme authority on them. So judge between them by what Allah has revealed, and do not follow their desires over the truth that has come to you. To each of you we have ordained a code of law and a way of life. If Allah had willed, he would have made you one community, but his will is to test you with what he has given each of you. So compete with one another in doing good. To Allah you will all return, then he will inform you of the truth regarding your differences. So from a certain perspective, that's about as ecumenical an interfaith as you can get. Basically, you know, do your own thing. It's all right. <laughs> do what was said previously. And in the end, I'll tell you the truth. You know, almost like, hey, no big deal. <laughs> if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jew, you're probably good. Again, from a certain perspective. And as of what to do now, if you're a Muslim, just do what the Quran says. If you're a Christian, do what the gospel says. And that's enough. But as for the validity of the previous faiths, especially like in this real time, say 7th century Arabia, there's not a huge amount of clear, concrete guidance. And if you look at it from a Christian perspective, this is even more confusing. You know, this is just not the kind of thing we like to just leave out there. <laughs> there. There are things we want to be certain about that Muslims are okay not being certain about. Because in this, Jesus almost looks like a vestigial figure, an old, unnecessary figure. If you're looking from the outside of Islam looking in, it's still unclear. Why does Jesus matter? Well, I don't know, because he's Jesus. And why does Jesus matter? Well, he's great. What made him great? He was Jesus. It seems like a circular thing. But only if you were looking at Jesus as someone who merely existed before Muhammad. <laughs> as only a figure who comes before Muhammad. What I mean, remember what I said earlier about historically, let's say you're in Muhammad's time, right? You have the figure of Jesus before Muhammad and then after Muhammad. What's confusing is the utility of Jesus before Muhammad. And yes, Jesus says laying the foundation for Muhammad, you know, it, from a Christian opinion has very scant evidence or, or utility. And in some ways, even from an Islamic perspective, I think there's a lot of Muslims that do kind of wonder what exactly, what role does Jesus have in any of this? What is he going to teach me? That's not in the Quran. 
However, that can all change if you are looking at the time after Muhammad. What does Jesus do after the ministry of Muhammad? In that, his role is quite large. Huge, really. Again, I'm going to clarify, make sure I'm not kind of going off the rails here, (laughs) talking about something nobody understands. What I mean by this is eschatology, Islamic eschatology, what comes after the end. That Jesus may not be a big shot in traditional Islam right now, in the contemporary world, but according to Islamic eschatology and tradition, again, eschatologist means the end times, what comes after that? That Islamic Jesus plays a much, much larger role. He still isn't the son of God, but it does seem like he's the man, the main figure come the apocalypse. Now, I want to preface this. Some people say preface. I just think it, I don't know, it, sounds, it doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> I'll say preface this. Islamic eschatology is an inexact thing. So take everything said about Islamic eschatology with a bit of skepticism. Again, even from a Muslim perspective, because this isn't something universally agreed upon by Muslims. This isn't an exact thing. The Quran says this, so this is what will happen. Very little of that exists. Yes, there is plenty of eschatology in the Quran, (laughs) but it doesn't give specifics about the apocalypse. Like the Quran will tell you heaven and hell and most definitely judgment day. However, what leads up to it? And what's Jesus's role in it? You know, something book of revelation style, details like that. There is very, very little from the actual Quran. So it doesn't quite have the same authority as other aspects of Islamic faith. So, actually, rather than using the phrase Islamic eschatology, it's a bit inexact, let's use the term Islamic apocalypse, because Islamic eschatology is very rich and very detailed, because it's one of the main focuses of the religion. There is one God, and Judgment Day is coming. It's a huge part. But apocalyptic details... What leads up to that? The apocalyptic details are mostly derived from a hodgepodge of Hadith traditions. Remember, those are just the the sayings and deeds of Muhammad. There's these Hadith traditions that Muslims have attempted to piece into some kind of a coherent narrative or structure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Christians do this all the time. But the Muslims never had an authoritative body or ecumenical councils that, like I said, that could decide the truth and stamp out heretics. That didn't exist. So, again, there's not much authoritative literature or material on the apocalypse. And some Muslims, in particular the Shia Muslims, 
they have really, really run with some of the ideas that come out of these Hadith traditions. But let's not go too deeply into that. (laughs) The point is that Jesus has a large role in the Islamic apocalypse. And it usually includes him leading an army and actually being an earthly ruler before the actual judgment comes. And we'll get to that in a later episode. The Islamic Jesus returning to earth will be one of the sections we'll go over, uh, probably the last one, appropriately, when talking about the Islamic Jesus. And really, it's the only aspect of the Islamic Jesus that plays any kind of a major role in Islamic thinking and theology. In the others, we're basically discussing differences between the two different conceptions of Jesus among Christians and Muslims. So, we'll see what actually happens in the end, but for now, I'm planning on four sections on the Islamic Jesus. Number one would be Jesus's relationship to God, the question of his divinity as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Number two, Jesus as the Word of God, as in, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's uh, not something he wrote, not a message. This is Jesus himself as a divine manifestation, as the Word of God. And then we have the question of the cross, because uh, the cross, as Christians understand it, this runs so counter to the archetype of an Islamic prophet that the crucifixion of Jesus is, for the most part, denied. We'll get into more details about that. And then number four, Jesus in the apocalypse. Now, at this point, I will not be going back over all the Islamic beliefs about Jesus's early life. We covered that pretty well in past episodes on the Apocryphal Gospels and Mary and the Holy Family. These were almost entirely in Surahs 3 and 19, and we'll be moving outside of that and into the more general pronouncements about Jesus in the Quran. There won't be as many narratives. There isn't some kind of Muslim version of the Passion Play, for example. There's just bits and pieces that can be pieced together later on, which is the case for pretty much any subject in Islam. And as you'll see, and I should warn you, there is not a united, simple take on the Islamic Jesus in Islam. Now, what do I mean by this? For example, What is the official version of what happened to Jesus during the day of the crucifixion? Not too sure. The Quran offers Muslims clues, but there is no official declaration of the faith on the subject. No actual dogma regarding Jesus. Now remember, there was no Council of Nicaea here. There's no Apostles' Creed. There's no authoritative body to stamp out heretics. Luckily for Muslims, They do not care about theology nearly to the point that Christians do, because if they did, I imagine Islam would be splintered into a zillion sects by now, or especially if they cared about this question this much, 
they would be splintered into a zillion sects by now. When I talk about what Muslims believe about Jesus, I'm just going with the more classical understandings, the understandings large enough to have a major voice in the Muslim community. And that's really, aside from the Quran, of course, that's the closest thing to authority that Muslims have. And as tempting as it may be, we're just talking about Muslims in general here. I'll do Sunni and Shia when we get to eschatology, probably. But we're not going off the deep end with Alawites and Baha'i and all kinds of other offshoots. This will be the Christian-Muslim debate in the classical sense regarding the greatest moral teacher in the history of the world, whether he is called Jesus Christ or the Holy Prophet Isa. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.